I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Spring has sprung here in Ithaca, and so I'm uh, feeling especially delighted um, about that, but I'm also really excited that we're recording again. It's a good time for that spring energy. And Tyler, I, I just have to jump right into it with our revisions and regrets because there's something really big we missed last time. Uh-oh. I don't have time for an on-ramp. We've just got to get right in. And All right, you, let's jump in. You texted this to me right after we finished recording. We did not talk about Dwight's underwear. Oh, yeah, we didn't. We didn't. And so it felt like that was a really big oversight. You're right. So before we get into today's episode, before we do anything else, I felt like we needed to talk about that. And as a refresher, going back to my previous notes, it is the early morning. This is after uh, Michael has spent the night at Jan's hotel room. Right. Right is there. Apparently he has slept in the office. And I think because Michael never came back or Jan never came back and he's worried. So he slept there. He's under one of those silver sheet things that they give to runners after marathons and stuff and he's in his undershirt and these blue underwear and Tyler why was this something that that you thought we needed to discuss I mean I completely agree with you but I don't know what I would have said about it at the time other than <laughs> uh I don't know you know there I I just thought wow, that is a really funny detail. Like, and they must, there must've been a discussion like, okay, is he going to wear tidy whiteies? Is he going to wear boxer briefs? No, he can't do that. You know, is it going to be like dorky boxers? Will it be, you know, so it's like they went with the, uh, the, um, I don't know, what would we, how do you describe that? The brief? The brief. Yeah. They went with the brief. (laughs) Blue. Whitey, but blue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a loose brief too, I would say. I was just trying to pull up pictures. I looked up as you were talking Dwight underwear, and apparently there are other episodes where we see his underwear. Yeah, there are others. I also looked it up <laughs> <laughs> and didn't find this one, which I'm not sure why it's missing. Um, but it was a good moment, and it reminded me of the commercials. Do you remember when Michael Jordan was the spokesperson for? Yes. Hate, I say? Yes. Thing like, is he a boxers guy or a briefs guy? Yeah. And it thing where you're supposed to kind of look at men and try to guess what it would be underneath their pants and I can't remember was Michael Jordan one of those things was that revealed Haynes sells both right yeah yeah I don't remember but yeah they sell both I can't remember either but I do I just remember that uh being a thing and so we've got that question answered for Dwight that is a really interesting point because okay I remember being a child of the 90s and first Okay, first I'll say, I just remember it being in the national air because if I recall correctly, there were like people interrogating Bill Clinton, like, oh, do you wear boxers or briefs? There's like some late night talk show that he was on. And I just remember like clips of that. And, but the reason I mentioned that is because I remember, okay, so I don't know what it was like for you in the Midwest, but in Pennsylvania, we had gym class and you had to change into your uniform. Uh, which at, um, in my high school was like bright Royal blue shorts and then like banana yellow t-shirt. And you kept these like in your locker 
and mm-hmm. never washed them all year. It was disgusting. <laughs> and, um, but you had to change into them. And if you didn't change, like you didn't get credit or whatever. And, um, but so that meant you were going to have to take off your pants and just the sheer terror of a dorky, you know, doughy, uh, uh, sexually and gender confused child <laughs> named Tyler Bradway searching for, searching for meaning in the locker room. You know, there was just a real ang- anxious, you know, moment. And I just remember there being a lot of, um, bullying, teasing discourse just around like, Ooh, like, you know, do they wear boxers or, or briefs? The boxer brief did was not really an option at the yeah. time. Okay. As I recall, the boxer was in and the brief was out. Um, yeah. uh, but was, yeah. was the boxer like an innovation of the nineties? Was there a movement? Because I feel like, right. We didn't always have that. And is that maybe why it was part of the national conversation in the way that it was? That's a great question. Because I would love to know like when, yeah, when did that shift happen? Because if you look at like 80s movies, like I'm thinking of like Tom Cruise and Risky Business or something like, here's this sexy guy and he's in tidy whities And like, so, yeah. but even the phrase tidy whities is like what it was how we as kids like mocked this yeah it's not (laughs) yeah yeah when did it become mockable I wonder too like when did when was it like oh that's what old men wear or something it's a great question the history of underwear it's actually a very interesting history yeah because we think so much too about like women's the policing of women's like clothing and and bodies Mm -hmm. and all of that like this is one rare instance (laughs) and like it's gone now right like I don't I can't think of any I don't, I mean, I don't listen to what students say anyway, but I don't know that I've heard any students say, uh, I'm kidding. I I care deeply about what they say related to the material, but we're going to have to cut this out. We'll have to cut this, but (laughs) what about, but I don't hear like on TV shows or people just in general being like talking about underwear like that. You're right. It has, that that has passed. That was really somehow particular to that time. But you're right, it's such an interesting example of men's fashion being very, very meaningful, but also not being the kind of external fashion and part of it being the thing that's underneath that comes out in the locker room. I hadn't thought about that particularly. I mean, the locker room is all kinds of problems, but I hadn't thought particularly about the boxer brief distinction Mm -hmm. as a part of that puts a target on your back you know what I mean and then then there was I'm trying to think about what is it um oh I just lost what I was gonna say I was trying to think if there's a version of this for women like but I can't think of yeah I I feel like not in not in quite the same in quite the same way and it feels so why so you said that it it was very meaningful like the underwear in the locker room really signify something. Does it feel, to me, it feels like the perfect underwear choice for Dwight. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, it signifies him as kind of what, like dorky, I guess. And yeah. not, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't not know. Not self-conscious about it. Like not right. enough to. No, but if you think about it, Jim is boxers 100%. Of course he is, yeah. Right? It's, so, yeah. it's so a part of his vibe. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, 
And Michael is wearing no underwear, right? He's free balling it because he read something in Small Businessman magazine. <laughs> I feel like you could really get Michael into like a, um, what do they call it? You know, like a pyramid scheme or something. <laughs> Mid-level marketing, whatever that marketing is called. Yeah. yeah, they gave it some new name. Yeah, I can't remember what it stands for. Them, yeah, but, but pyramid scheme. <laughs> I was going to say, I have this very vivid memory of an episode of ER. Okay, so I remember my my mom used to watch ER, and there was an episode early on in the show where, like, I think it's like Noah Wiley or whatever. Anyway, one of the doctors is told that, I think, like, one of, this is so weird to just, like, try to remember some random episode of television (laughs) from 30 years ago. But anyway, I just have this vivid memory of him in the midst of like a procedure or helping a patient or whatever, he's like checking out this nurse, I think her ass and like trying to see whether she has a thong or oh, yeah. not. And I think because there was like some discourse in the episode about, oh, like she wears a thong or something and this signifies whatever. And like, I just remember, I mean, you know, I, I was pretty young and was like very confused about like why, why, like what is that and what, why would it matter? <laughs> but anyway, that's the best that I can think of for like, cause I do remember that, you know, we have the thong song that was classic. Mm, you know, classic. there was a lot of discussion around thongs in the 2000s, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I remember an episode as you talk about Michael going, um, what do they call that? Commando? Yeah, <laughs> that's it, that's it. A phrase. But anyway, there's an, an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer decides to stop wearing underwear and Jerry says something to him like, that is just not enough fabric between you and me. Yes! <laughs> that is how I would feel about, about <laughs> Michael. So yeah, so I love your point that Dwight is like, he's too shameless because he's yeah. not aware that you know like I feel like this is often a thing you see in like comedies where like some European man wearing a speedo in a context and but like confidently in the joke being that like oh he doesn't get that he looks ridiculous or whatever from an American point of view where it's like such a Euro-American kind of distinction around this too yeah Americans are afraid of uh they're afraid of the um of the dong (laughs) it's true (laughs) yeah we like a nice full short (laughs) (laughs) oh we should bring back those um those jenko shorts and uh talk about hot i love those ridiculous pants uh yeah for for listeners who might not have been aware of that at the time they were these jeans this was the the era of really oversized jeans kind of like skateboarder jeans mm-hmm. and they were so big and the pockets went down like maybe past the knees sometimes they were ridiculous pants but i definitely remember seeing those and being like yep i like that <laughs> it's so interesting to me like how generational like fashion <laughs> connects to desire like because I will see you know what like younger people are wearing and I'm like really like anybody finds that attractive and then I'm like oh I'm so old like I'm so (laughs) but I can remember being like a young teen and like my boss at the video store um 
making fun of my like baggy pants and baggy clothes or whatever. And she was like, you know, I miss when, you know, kids in the eighties wore like really tight jeans. And I was like, yeah, but I remember saying like, yeah, but you'd be able to see like, you know, they're like, or I think maybe I said like my ass or my dick or something like that or whatever. And she's like, that's the point. That That's what I'm looking for. And I was like, oh, I see. But I was also like, ew, like that's so, you know, lame or whatever. Like you gotta, it's it's all about the as baggy as possible. Um, Your video store boss might have to watch the sexual harassment episode, education oh, yeah. video. Uh, that's definitely, definitely true. Um, so I'm trying to remember, do we have any other uh, revisions and what was it? Resubmissions? <laughs> revisions and regrets. Regrets, regrets, regrets. So I think that we've, uh, I think that we've done our due. All right. Um, well, so should we dive into episode eight performance review? Let's do it. Yep. All right. Okay. Episode eight performance review. And again, we have some, we have Dwight strongly featured. Here's our summary. Michael dusts off the office suggestion box in search of ideas he can steal and present to Jan for his annual review. That is, it's so, these little summaries do not capture at all what the episode is about, you know, because uh-huh. I feel like the suggestion box is so minor to the whole episode. Oh, um, that's a good point, yeah. I don't know, it's just in my memory of it, but I have to say just at the outset, like this was one of my favorite episodes in a while. And I'm, yeah, and I have no idea why it just, I I loved it. And I felt like, why am I loving this so much? And I I don't know if it's because it just felt like maybe we haven't recorded in a while and it's like, this is cozy, this is familiar, but. In fairness, every time we record, you're like, we haven't recorded in a while. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But like, this one, man, I just, I just felt like, Oh, there's something really, it just, it just hit every little bit for me. I really, I, yeah. and I realized that my role on this podcast is supposed to hate this show and uh, cringe at it. And um, so I really feel like I've let you down, but uh, yeah, this, I really like this one. So I'm excited to talk about kind of every little moment. Okay. I am absolutely thrilled by that because this is not a favorite for me. And I am so happy that you love this one so much. So as the prime lover of this episode, where do you want to start us off? Where should we jump in? Uh, let's start with the um, cold open, maybe, uh, which is we've got Dwight on his <laughs> exercise ball. Um, this orb, Tyler. <laughs> fitness <laughs> orb. orb. Forget everything you thought you knew about ab workouts. Done. Yes. Jim res- I love how Jim just responds, done. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and then um, and then he pops it. And uh I don't know. It's just the timing, the comic timing of it, the Dwight's, you know, um, uh, I don't know, uh, annoyingness and Jim's, you know, uh, slacker, you know, his asking how much it cost. I don't know. It just really hit for me. I thought it was very amusing. I love it how Jim asks, yeah, how much is that before he decides, before he pops it? And Dwight says it's 25 bucks. And Jim just has this little like thinking, evaluating this pause. And then he decides, yep. And he grabs his scissors and gives it a really bold stabbing that just immediately takes the air out of the thing. It's also a great, um, simple, quick parody of a lot of this office health stuff um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I feel like 
we've seen increasingly like discourses around, but I can remember like friends of mine getting, you know, kind of corporate jobs and it's like, oh, they bought us a Fitbit so we can compete with all the other employees to lose weight. And, oh, this has, turns out that this was also somehow related to the, our health insurance plan. You know, it's like the kind of corporate, um, or like, oh, here's the yoga to de-stress you from the job that's stressing you out, you know, or whatever. I just, I kind of felt like it was a neat little uh, poke at the kind of like, this job like makes you sedentary and unhealthy. So how do you hack that? Oh, the fitness orb. Hack that. Yeah, he also just kind of perfectly speaks the language of the, I don't know what you describe this, like the, the fitness discovery yeah you know where it's like oh you know crossfit or i feel like crossfit is one that people make fun of for being like that but always those new kind of new workout or new pieces of equipment and it's like the be all end all save your life item and for dwight it's that i can't remember what all he says but he's describing all of the things that this does and he's just so enthusiastic and so bought into this thing, which I feel like is such a common kind of language around fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Is like the kind of salvational fitness almost. Um, but Dwight, it's also so not fitting for Dwight in some ways. Yeah, that's interesting. He's very, he's actually maybe the, well, no. I was going to say maybe he's the most athletic in the office. That's not true. But he is athletic. He is a purple belt in karate. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Don't deny him that. He's a, he's a fighter. Yep. And uh, yeah, so he does have some, some fitness savvy, but he doesn't have the typical fitness vibe. So this was interesting coming from him. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because it's like, uh, you know, who would you expect to be that person? Like in some way, based on everything we've got so far, it would actually be Jim, I think, right? He plays basketball. He's like, although Phyllis is very, we discover like quite athletic too. I'm trying to remember like yeah. earlier. Anyway. really very good at basketball or not secretly. I guess really just, just secretly because Michael wouldn't let her play and didn't think right. that she'd be any good. Maybe Angela because of the self-righteousness. Yeah, that's who I would picture. Yeah. (laughs) Because like that's to me like how I think about fitness culture too is this real like, um, what do you call it? Moralistic and your purity discourse that would like match with her. Yeah, Um, that would work with Angela. Yeah, I could see see Oscar really getting into into a serious fitness routine. Yeah, yeah. It is a type that the show doesn't have that it feels like would de- you would definitely have now, like the gym rat or the gym bunny who's like, you know, just can't shut up about supplements and keto and gluten or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, here Dwight is, Dwight is playing, playing that role for us. So then I guess like I, I forget that the episode, I mean, it's called performance review. It's the actual plot is like, oh, okay. So it's performance review day. And that's why Jan is coming to the office. Um, but really to me, the plot was all about Michael's trying to figure out where he's at in this relationship with somebody who doesn't want to be in a relationship with him. And yeah. <laughs> um, 
oh my God, I found that very funny. Uh, so the, the scene that I was thinking about first was the one where he brings Pam in and, mm -hmm. um, and she's, I can't remember the dialogue, but basically like, you know, she's about to tell him the truth and say like, look, she's just not into you. Um, but he's doing her performance review at the same time. So she's like, well, there might be hope, you know, whatever. Yes. And I just loved it. I think it reminded me of those early office episodes where I realize we're still in season two, but where like they do a nice job of showing the power dynamics that like Michael's position as boss shapes what people can and cannot say to him. And as a result, the yeah. comedy has to come from that tension. Um, yeah. It's so, it's so good here. I loved Pam in the scene. And I just, so I wrote down the, the dialogue here. I just have to read this off, read it into the record, as you would say. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> she comes in and she sits down and he says, Pam, you're trustworthy. And she says, thank you. And then he says, and a woman. <laughs> and says, oh no. <laughs> so how quickly, how quickly that, that turns. And so he plays the voicemail that from, that's from Jan and Pam says, just off the top, I think she'll be here this afternoon. You know, when he's asking for this information for her as a woman to sort of unlock what is this message that's from Jan. But yeah, so to that, the, the thing you're talking about where she changes course is she first says, I have one idea of what it means. Well, I don't think you're going to be very happy with this. And then Michael has that turn. She can tell that this is going to turn. He wants to go to her review and that he's in a terrible mood. So she says, because she's conflicted, she has to be professional, but she's fighting feelings for you. And I just felt like it was such a smooth pivot and was so right on in understanding what Michael was looking for. And I felt like on the spot, she just made that turn so quickly and took it exactly where she needed to go. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely like, I mean, I get, I don't know. It depends on how, how creepy do we want to view this episode and Michael's <laughs> like pursuit of Jan. Um, you know, I'm nervous to like think deeply about that, but, um, but I definitely thought it was just, yeah, like a great uh, way of showing that like Pam's survival in this moment is like pitted against Jan's. And so like her, whatever solidarity she might have with Jan, you know, as a woman who doesn't want to be pursued by Michael, um, she will sacrifice that to uh, be out of necessity for her performance review. And, and the way that she does it is by saying, um, yeah, like creating a story that isn't there, right? Like Jan couldn't be clearer. Uh, <laughs> she says, uh, it's Jan, I guess I missed you. I'll be there this afternoon for performance reviews. I hope it's understood that that will be our only topic of discussion. See you soon. And it's like, there, there's nothing, you know, you couldn't possibly, you would think that you can't misinterpret that, but of course, Michael yeah. is a, a cis straight man who, <laughs> who, who wants to. Yeah, if you're wishfully interpreting. That's so interesting. So I did not think at all about the fact that, like what effect this has on Jan when Pam turns the story and feeds into Michael's hope. Yeah, that there's, that there's conflict. Um, 
or that there's internal conflict from for Jan. So is Pam, is Pam so pivotal here? Does she actually kind of set off the entire thing? Does she give Michael just the spark that he needs? That's interesting. Or in the office still. It is hard to imagine him if, okay, so let's say, what do you think? If he said, if she said she's not into you, what do you think yeah. his reaction would be? You know, I don't know. I mean, could he get very hurt and sad and kind of shut down? That's true. I don't know. And we can't, without the performance review and without her, you know, future, like the, the kind of future for her job and her pay on the line, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, I love that you went in that direction, like, because it reminds me that, like, what is Michael's character like? Because I think of him in this episode as, like, reality resistant. He, like, can't yeah, that's a good see, way. Reality he refuses to see reality. Um, yeah. And, uh, or he's unable to, or whatever, you know, I don't know. Um, but there's that element of his character, but there's also the sullen, like, melancholic, uh, childish part of him that like when he is confronted with reality like you said he kind of turns inward and becomes yeah I don't know um hmm. sorrowful so you can imagine him doing that too mm -hmm. but I don't know something about I don't mean to jump to the end but like my favorite moment in the whole episode is Jan getting on the elevator and and him being like okay so it's not about my looks <laughs> it's like it's about everything else about you <laughs> but it's not about my looks so it's like but then like and then she just sighs and <laughs> it's like and I can't tell if in that moment like is he is he in touch with reality there like is he hearing all of the negative but holding on to the one positive thing or does he is he not hearing all the negative because he doesn't care about any of that and he's mm -hmm. only holding on to the I don't know that Who is such a funny moment though how yeah how relieved he is that it isn't about his looks and just I guess connected to the culture of fitness but just how incredibly important that is that that can be the thing that overrides the other stuff but I would say it turns out although Pam was not sincerely interpreting that message when she said I think she's conflicted. She has feelings, but she wants to be professional. I think that final elevator scene showed she is conflicted. I felt, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. To be professional. So she <laughs> says, so Michael asks her as she's getting on the elevator, if he's too short, um, <laughs> and says, it's not your looks, okay? It's your personality. I mean, you're obnoxious and rude and, and, and stupid and you, do have coffee breath, by the way, and and I don't agree about the BO, but you are very, very inconsiderate. And Michael says, really? She says, really? You're 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 a great guy, okay? And Michael says, and I appreciate that. Thank you. First of all, I just love how she said all of these horrible things. Then she just says the really generic, you're a great guy. And he says, I appreciate it. He's just so, you know, ready to kind of seize on any bit that he can get. But then she goes on and says, 
and you were very sweet and you stayed up with me and talked with me and cried with me and yeah. I appreciate that. And then Michael jumps in to clarify that he didn't cry. <laughs> but she's conflicted. There is a sweet side to Michael. Yeah, that's true. It is interesting. I mean, it's like, how do you read? Yeah, this is kind of what I meant too, where I was like, how dark do you want to read this episode? <laughs> like, and I think, you know, maybe it matters. Does it matter? It matters in some sense. She's his boss. And mm -hmm. so this would read differently if this was Pam, I think. Yes, yeah, um, right. Which is not to say that it wouldn't, uh, that, it, that this is not also like really bad toxic behavior. But um, but it is interesting because it's like, she is conflicted. I agree with you on that. On the other hand, it is sometimes hard to tell when she's being honest and when she's placating him, much like mm -hmm. Stanley and Pam, like, placating Michael um you know to tell him what he wants to hear and so when she says uh you're a great guy okay it is I don't know man it is even more devastating to me to hear her say that because yes. it's like oh she's just trying to be nice I yeah because of okay. all the awful things she said like <laughs> yeah I totally totally agree with you there on that Point. then it's like oh this is gonna be a mess okay let me just tell him he's a great guy but then she gets so much more specific in the line that follows so I think she's you're right it. but then I would argue yeah that her something more sincere comes out and I think we kind of get some of it too in the way she it feels like she's kind of breaking down there in some ways like she has been bombarded by him for this entire day which she handled very impressively throughout yeah. but yeah. even kind of in her speech there she's got you know repeated and 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 it kind of loses its professionalism I guess and so I think that I think we're really seeing some conflicted Jan. I think, I mean, I think you're right. I really like that point that it's like, uh, it proceeds, you know, so the, 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 when she says those things about, and you were sweet and you stayed up and you cried with me and I appreciate, she repeats that I appreciate this. And, yeah. um, uh, I think, or something like that. And, and she says, I'm just not in the right place and all that. And it's like, so there is some, and the other thing too, is like the way that it's shot. It's like, they're in the hallway. Mm -hmm people can hear them, but we don't, I don't think they know that or they're not like, I think when Michael is like, I didn't cry. I think that's yeah. more from the camera um, <laughs> than it is. I've been really interested in this episode and in general, the way Jan is one of the few characters who like highly negotiates the camera's presence. Like she is always really aware of it and drawing attention to it and like saying, are the cameras on? Are they in there with you? Um, like she doesn't want a record of yeah. this stuff, yeah. um, which is like interesting, not only for her character and like what it tells us about her, but also that it's like the uh, corporate is the one that is uh, dicey about the camera, you know, um, yeah. as opposed to whatever the mid-level manager and the mm -hmm. office drones or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. She is careful. She also has that moment when she goes down, she can't take it and she goes out 
for a cigarette and she talks to the camera person directly. And oh, kind of yes. like, I know it's your job to ask me about this, but I am not going to talk to you about it. Yeah, that's this episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to find that moment. Confronting its form in some ways. And yeah, when she's on the phone and she's asking if the camera is there, always her awareness of it and hear her speaking directly in reference to it. Oh, yeah, and she's trying to light a cigarette, right? I thought that was really interesting, yeah. just visually, because mm-hmm. we don't really see people smoke in the show or yeah. at all. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so wait, uh, we jumped to the end. Now we got to go all the way back. Um, so we were on Pam, and we kind of briefly mentioned, but we get the same kind of thing happening with Stanley. Yeah. And it feels like Michael, so both Pam and Stanley here, I think are really good at being strategic with Michael based on what they want to get out of it. And Michael, like he's trying to tap into this sort of imagined identity-based wisdom (laughs) of like, you know, I, I need some woman wisdom and I need some black wisdom. You're right. Yes. So he, cause he starts with Pam that she's, that she's a woman. And so he's going to ask her this. And when we go in, when Stanley's in his office, Stanley is saying, sometimes women say more in their pauses than in their words. Oh yes, let's listen again. And Michael says, Stanley, that's freaking brilliant. How do you know that? Did you learn that on the streets? And then he kind of catches himself and he knows that that was not a good thing to say. So he quickly says, oh, I'm sorry. But then Stanley says, oh, it's okay. I did learn it on the streets, on the ghetto, in fact. And Michael is just like hooked by this. Kind of a funny note. I thought it was sort of weird, but funny and awkward when he says not in the ghetto, but on the ghetto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just an odd little note about yeah, phrasing, yeah, yeah. Which partly maybe just goes to how awkward and how very out of character that phrase is for Stanley. Yeah, yeah. But, but he's working it. I love your point. I hadn't thought about that, like how Michael does frame it in very explicit identity terms. Like you can help me because of your knowledge as a person of color, or as a woman. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have further thoughts on that or how that plays out in the rest of the episode? Because that's so interesting. I'm trying to think if that gets carried on uh, in the episode in other yeah. ways. I don't think it gets... I don't remember. I don't think it really gets picked up elsewhere. Just that Stanley walks out and Stanley has had the best performance review of all time. You know, Michael is cheering him on. So this really worked and yeah, it kind of tapped into some, I don't know, kind of white idea about the wisdom of blackness and, you know, to get at great advice from Morgan Freeman or I, something like that, you know what I mean? Like that kind of voice, that kind of image. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know, Michael's desire for it to be like street knowledge in quotation marks. It's funny, but we can see Michael there too, navigating. He, it seems like he actually has learned some things from Diversity Day. <laughs> And he's navigating it. He's catching himself. Yeah, yeah. Did you learn that on the streets? And so he's tr- he, he's having a moment of noticing and seeing it, but then 
you know, Stanley knows this is a good, a good vein to tap if I want to get some money. Yeah, I love that they cut to him saying it's for my bonus. Uh, yeah, it's all about the bonus. <laughs> which really underscores like, okay, the performance of a certain identity for yeah. your, you know, corporate overlords is a necessary survival tactic for minoritized people. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, and he, and one in that Stanley and Pam are like highly aware of. This is yeah. interesting in contrast to Angela, who <laughs> her metaphor for performance review is uh, the youth beauty pageant circuit. Yes. Um, and uh, <laughs> and this is one of my favorite lines. I really enjoy being judged. I believe I hold up very well to even severe scrutiny. <laughs> Which I mean, like we went into academia, so we must also have some, <laughs> some, yeah, uh, you know, masochistic, um, yes, desire uh, for severe scrutiny. Yeah, and <laughs> so yet I don't think we hold up under it as well as Angela. No, no, <laughs> I was uh, quite quite the opposite. Yeah, I want to put this up on my wall as, um, gosh, what do you call those things? It's like a personal motto. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Just dating myself. Yeah, I really enjoy being judged. I believe I hold up very well to even severe scrutiny. I'm going to try and and get (laughs) that Angela energy. Yeah, and she gets shut out. So she's going, so she's going up to the door after explaining this, her love of being judged. And uh, Jan calls. And so Michael just kind of slams the door and says something like, your performance was very satisfactory. Totally uh, uh, perfunctory move along. Um, oh yeah. my God, that was so great. Yeah. I really am excited for more Angela. Um, cause I really, I think the way that, I, I don't know how people feel about Dwight at this point in the show. Like if they find him annoying and, uh, laugh, like you want to laugh at him, like, and I clearly have been team Dwight, you know, in a lot of ways, but that is how I feel about Angela though. Like I really like, am ready to find her irritating and to laugh at her (laughs) because of her judginess and her morality and her like stickler vibes um and uh, so I'm really I hope we get some Angela-centric episodes is what I'm saying yeah I think we'll I think we'll get some more Angela and I guess um, so just gonna say to I guess kind of connecting all these characters I feel like we have Pam and Stanley and Jan (laughs) like they're work of the day and trial of the day is managing Michael and Jan she does I feel like she just keeps maintaining that professionalism and I (laughs) she must have just been ready to snap at so many moments I feel like that was had to be an intense intense day yeah, how, well, okay, I, yeah, I don't know how to say this, because, like, I feel like the episode is about, I guess this is, goes back to one of the ongoing debates we've been having about the show, which is, like, how do you deal with it being centered on Michael, who is, in many ways, objectively a terrible person, and then, on the other hand, like, a lot of the things that he feels are charmingly relatable or whatever right so it's like you don't want to sympathize with his bad behavior and at the same time like there is something 
I don't know, like, I don't know if this makes me a bad person or whatever, but like empathetic about his desire for closure, for example, or to like, you know, to be too, he can't play it cool. And so instead he's like, obnoxiously needy and I, I don't know maybe I'm revealing too much about myself by saying like I can understand like you know his whole when he's like one of my favorite moments is he's like you know when it uh, whenever anybody says it's mutual it wasn't in this case it was mutual <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like oh man <laughs> or the similarly too to be like okay so like I'm a good guy right like you like you, the reason you don't like me doesn't have anything to do with me, right? Like, you know, it's like, I, you know, I don't know. There's something relatable about that. And at the same time, as you're saying, like the whole episode is demonstrating that like, you know, this guy is, everybody has to manage this one white man's feelings um, and waste all their time and energy. Yeah. Yeah, but he does. I mean, the guy, he's got a lot of complicated feelings and maybe what Jan says at the end you know about him being obnoxious and rude and stupid and very very inconsiderate but also being sweet and listening to her kind of captures so much about who he is and I guess kind of the experience of watching the show Mm -hmm. and feeling for Michael and we know that I have a lot of capacity for empathy for Michael I know (laughs) (laughs) and I think this episode really like walks that line in a way that's really interesting yeah you're right because he's he's pretty rough in this episode (laughs) one I'll say one moment when I really related to him (laughs) was when he so he knows that he's got this actually is the part that connects to the suggestion box and the summary about it as if it were really suggestion box centric but this is when he's realizing that he's going to have to have this talk with Jan and he needs to have some ideas because she said I want to talk about your concrete ideas to improve the branch And Michael goes out and he talks to Pam at the reception desk and he says, I have ideas on a daily basis. I know I do. I have a clear memory of telling people my ideas. Um, Is there a chance that you wrote any of my ideas down? (laughs) A Michael idea folder. And I thought this was the most relatable moment of the episode. (laughs) I mean, like, I have ideas. I know I do. I can't remember. I can't remember any of them, but I have a clear memory of having mm-hmm. an idea at some point, And I really wish that it would come to me. I love then too, where he's like, um, uh, okay, so you can put your constructive compliments in, yeah. in the box. Yeah. <laughs> and Ryan's like, do you mean constructive criticism? <laughs> um, I don't know. I just find, yeah, that whole, like he wants them. Yeah. I don't know. I just found that really funny. And also it led to one of my favorite jokes in the whole episode, which is digging through the, the suggestion box and some former employee who killed themselves having asked for like mental health, you know, outreach or whatever. And like, I know that that is not uh, funny, like in reality, but in the context of the show, it was very amusing to me because of that, like, oh my God, they never, they're so thoughtless, they never even check the box. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I really, yeah. for some reason, the construction of that kind of joke is always very, very funny to me. Like, uh-huh. like <laughs> when people realize that. something too late. Yes, yeah, definitely realizing too late. And he gave, it also gives a history to the office that mm-hmm. you know, we don't have like a history of past yes. employees. But the way he says that, because the comment was, 
there should be better mental health support or better support outreach for employees with depression or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And Michael thinks it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it is a funny response. I think a part of what's funny yeah, is that he thinks it's a joke. Like he thinks someone is messing with him that even anyone in the office would have depression. Like <laughs> that's such, I don't know, seems so unfamiliar and out of his realm that he's yeah. like, yeah, you guys have to be messing with me about this. And then, you know, it comes out that it's not, but, but Jan said, Jan kind of stops him. And she's like, Michael, that actually sounds serious. And I will say this does not talking about mental health at work and support for depression feels recent. I mean, yeah. it doesn't feel like that was uh, embraced kind of at the time. So I, I felt like that was a pretty progressive Jan move to take it seriously. I did too. And I, this was like, I was like, oh, this is really, you know, like, I feel like you hear people say certain things like, oh, well, you can't joke about like suicide or you can't talk, you yeah. can't joke about depression or something, or if, you know, it's impossible. And I was like, this is a great way to do it because the joke is not that this guy was depressed or that yeah. he killed himself. The joke is, as you're saying, like that Michael doesn't take it seriously that he assumes it's a joke and that like the the that this that it's been around for so long like and only yeah. confirming what this guy had said in the first place um yeah. it's a dark dark joke but like it is yeah. the joke is on the system not the sufferer yeah and, uh, so I thought that's it was such, really, yeah that's such a good point about how do you yeah, construct that kind of joke when yeah, you want it to address something that is so heavy and so serious, but you're right, like not, it's not um, mocking Tom. It's not laughing at Tom. Tom, I think they said his name, right? Um, but Michael's, you know, stupidity and insensitivity and complete failure at his job and all of, all of that in that moment. Have we already heard, I can't remember if this was in an earlier episode or if it comes later when Michael says something like he wants to, he, he aspires to be able to tell a really good AIDS joke. Oh, I don't remember that. I feel like <laughs> we would have discussed that. Okay, so yeah, I do feel like we would have discussed that. Okay. Oh, crap. So but just the point of him, um, yeah, having this desire and kind of asking how can you tell jokes about something that is really serious and life and death and very very heavy so he has this kind of desire to tell that kind of joke but this feels like an example of actually having a joke of, that's kind of in that vein you know what I mean that's like yeah. with that the seriousness and it's got the kind of darkness of the joke but also laughing so I don't know there's something also, oh, also I forgot at the end of that, like Michael doesn't even connect it. He doesn't get it. Like he's like, oh, that guy, that guy was weird. All right, next. Exactly. Exactly. He doesn't even register to him. Not register. Because Phyllis yeah. is saying like he, he killed himself, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I'm going to shoot for the moon here. I want to see how this plays for you. But like, as we're talking, I'm starting to see a through line here. And I'm mm -hmm. wondering how far we want to go on this. But okay, so the Tom thing. And the, and this, okay, so the whole thing about the suggestion box is that 
nobody's been reading them. No one is listening. Like yeah. Tom asks to basically process his emotions and mm-hmm. nobody hears him. Nobody listens. Right. Yeah. And so I want to connect this to the later, like soon after that, um, uh, Michael says to Jan, I just don't understand why you have to pretend like nothing happened because nothing did, Michael. I'm not going to say anything more about it. And I would advise you to do the same. Dwight interrupts and asks for performance review. And he says, your performance has been adequate. You may leave goodbye. Jan says, is this how you've been conducting all the reviews, Michael? And Michael says, you want to talk now? Good. Okay, Dwight, leave. (laughs) And what I'm, what I'm starting to wonder is like, is the episode about like, like performance reviews or is it, is like basically like something about how the office is a space where like emotions are actually constantly in play, but they can't be discussed or confronted. And I mean, maybe my question would be why, like, is it because you have a narcissistic boss who refuses to, um, you know, make anything relevant except his own feelings or is it because like the office can only it can only manage certain emotions and other ones can't be but but anyway when she says like is this the way you've been conducting all the performance reviews I'm like well what should he be doing I guess he should be talking about practical logistical things but it's interesting his response is like oh like we can talk about feelings but he hasn't been doing that either Uh I don't know I'm trying to do something here, but I'm not quite getting there. I don't know. It's So it's making me wonder too, what kinds of feelings this kind of show can manage or can sort of have. So not only the office, but the show itself, mm. the category of show. So it feels like with, um, with Tom and with something as serious as depression, it doesn't feel like that can fully be taken on here yeah, right. or that it has to sort of stay outside. So it feels like for him, both it does not get processed in any way at the office itself. And his whole point and complaint that there is not enough outreach or support is only confirmed by the failure of the suggestion box. But even the show itself, like are there certain kinds of feelings that you can bring into the space of a comedy of this kind and some that you can't or that just don't work or that are too out of form and that would kind of break the conventions too far Mm -hmm. for the show to kind of hold together that's so interesting and as you're saying that I'm thinking I'm thinking back to your point about it's just interesting to me that Jan sort of signifies the refusal to discuss in the episode yeah. Yeah. withholding, withdraw, you know, yeah. even though like really what she's withholding, regardless of whether, whether she does have conflicted feelings for him or not, she's trying mm-hmm. to like draw a professional boundary and not talk about personal stuff in the work. Yes. Right. Which yes. is rightly so totally legitimate and fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the documentary is there. And the documentary is like, and that's what's interesting about the show, right? Like it's a sitcom, but it's shot like a a realist documentary without a laugh track. And so we have these moments where it it actually does feel like we're getting at the deep personal core of people's um, 
despair or desire or anxiety or whatever, or their stupidity. But um, at the same time, we only ever kind of get it in like at a side glance. Like it is when Stanley says like, you have to listen to the pauses. I know that he's like joking and making a gendered, you know, thing, but like, it does kind of feel sometimes like that's the show's theory that like Jim, to get it, the love between Jim and Pam, like you have to get, you have to look at their glances or when they don't say something, not what they actually say. Yes. Um, Whoa. Maybe, maybe Stanley is the figure of wisdom who has like, Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) No, like the thesis of the, of the show, but that's so, no, I love that because you're right. It is so much of it is in the pauses and is in those eyes and the things that are not said which is then missing and maybe the answering machine <laughs> becomes a really difficult way to read the pauses with oh, no visual. Yeah. <laughs> so Stanley has to be an extra deep reader to, to get those pauses, <laughs> but yeah, I like well, that. What do you make of the subplot, which is basically Dwight wants a raise uh, and Jim and Pam are trying to convince him that it's Saturday or tomorrow. He, he believes it's Friday. They're Uh reaffirming that belief. Um, Yeah. Thoughts on that subplot. Okay. I've got so many, I've got so many thoughts about this. Oh, good. (laughs) I want to talk especially about Dwight and his raise (laughs) and his strategy for trying to get that raise. So first of all, we see before he goes in to talk to Michael, we see Dwight in the stairwell, psyching himself up for that review. And he's listening, he's got his little boom box and he's listening to music and he's sort of playing the air bass and he's kicking and punching. And he has these statements like, you deserve this raise. You go in there and get this raise. I can't, I don't recall what all he says, but it's like this big psych up kind of scene. I want to talk about once he goes into the office, but did you have any, any thoughts about that? Uh, I just loved it. And I'm looking at the dialogue. He says, because I'm awesome. I am awesome. (laughs) Yes, because he is awesome. So he goes in and this is what I really, really want to get into when he goes for his performance review. He is so prepared and he has this presentation. Mike, I think Michael asks him, Something like, why would we give you a raise? And he's like, I'm so glad you asked. And he whips out this binder kind of thing. And he's got sort of a presentation and he's got a few sheets that are in plastic covers, like those plastic sheet covers. And the first one is a bar graph. And Tyler, I actually texted you a picture of this. (gasps) Oh, okay. I'm looking it up. I I really wanted to go all in on the discussion of the graphs. So... Several things. Okay, so let me describe this. Oh my God, this is great. I wish the listeners could see this right now. The commitment that Megan has to this podcast. So the title on this graph is Dwight K. Schrute Attendance. And it's a 3D bar graph with green bars from 2001 to 2005. An important note, the font here is Comic Sans. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it is. It is. So Dwight is trying so hard to be so serious about his attendance record. And he's really, it's really undermined by the font. (laughs) But what in the world is he conveying with this graph? So on each bar, 
it says a number, 98, 87, 91. Those appear to be percentages, but he has said that his attendance was perfect. Right. And he's got along, the years are along the bottom, but then he also has the months, January, February, March, April, but those don't align with the graph in any way. And it's numbered, the vertical axis has these sort of random numbers on it. There's 100 and then 85.71 and (laughs) 71.43. And he's got a key, like, you know, he's got the green square over to the side to say what the green means, but he doesn't say what it means. So this is just such an absolutely delightful, ridiculous detail to me. I, yeah, I love that you pulled this up and it makes me feel like, oh, there must be so many more like little Easter eggs like this because it's nonsense. Um, (laughs) But it is also the kind of nonsense that Toy would produce, you know, this pseudo pseudo objective, you know. Yeah, yeah. And maybe a graph of some kind is sort of all you need. Like the graph itself is persuasive, is the thing that's persuasive. And if you kind of delve into it too far, and this maybe also goes back to the client when Jan comes in, you know, with all the the charts and graphs and it looks like USA Today. Um, So there's something, there's something that's supposed to at least be persuasive about the graph, but this one is just beautifully absurd. Yeah, I love that. Um, He says, I've never been late. Also, I've never missed a day due to illness, even when I had walking pneumonia, which I got to say that hits different in COVID times. Um, And also is, by the way, like a thing, you know, I don't don't mean to get all, you know, super political here, but uh, although we always do, uh, that's part of the problem. (laughs) It's like, don't come in when you're sick. You know, the idea that you're supposed to work, you know, through anyway, whatever. Um, I even come in on holidays. I have a copy of your key. Jan says that is a serious offense. Um, <laughs> I just think it's so he like he I, yeah Dwight can never modulate. He like goes overboard to a degree that is. Um, yes. And I loved then, of course, the irony that he says he's never missed a day and then he misses uh, the next day. Yes. <laughs> now, the ways in which Pam and Jim um, convince him of that very charming but also a little haunting because we got the little dialogue scene where they're talking about Trump firing people on The Apprentice. Yes. And uh, and he's like, wait, what? You know, and it was like, oh, yeah, last night or whatever, you know, but yeah. they uh, convince him because it's um, uh, whatever. I can't remember what day it's yeah, supposed, the supposed Apprentice to be. Thursday. Yeah. So, so Pam has, this is another one of those moments where I feel like Pam is just hitting uh hitting Jim right in the in the sweet spot because he'll just kind of mention oh I'm doing this thing where Dwight thinks it's Saturday and she just says okay but then she takes matters into her own hands so yeah she's coming over and saying did you see The Apprentice last night because it's on Thursdays it definitely sent a chill down my spine just being reminded of like how that show (laughs) made a myth of this you know guy um but uh, also like just yeah how crazy it is that that show it was just like a phenomenon everybody I remember lots of people watching and talking about it and so yeah just to have that pop up um, but of course Dwight yeah. didn't watch it because he was drunk with his laser tag team um, <laughs> that's a great detail <laughs> that he has a laser tag team 
yeah, I would, I really would love for us to get an episode of that, but I don't think we're ever going to leave to see laser tag. Probably. Um, you have to write that story, Tyler. That's for oh, you. My That's office fan fiction. Your office fan fiction. Put that on the list. Um, Can, so I still have several more items I have to discuss about Dwight's actual performance review. All right. I only have one more thing uh, in general. So okay. um, I'm a, I'm a, I'll just say that and then I'll turn it over to you. I was just going to say uh, in the in the subplot to convince him that, mm -hmm. that it's the wrong day before that Dwight tries to convince Jim to sell like manila folders or something in his performance review or whatever double tabbed manila folders I was fascinated because I was like is this one of the first yes. or only times we've seen Dwight try to sabotage Jim yes and bumble it and I was like oh that's interesting to think of them as constantly going back and forth rather than just Jim going after Dwight. Um, so yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I I love that. <laughs> and he's, um, he's not as, so he, he's trying, he's basically trying to prank Jim there. He's clearly right. not as effective at it, but. Or get him fired, question mark? I don't know. Would it get Jim fired? Yeah, would it? Probably not. But he, but he wants to sabotage his review, right? Yeah, I feel like he just wants to give him something kind of embarrassing and stupid to say. Yeah, right, right. And I guess that maybe, so Jim, so if Dwight is trying to plant something stupid to say that'll embarrass him, then Jim kind of is very quickly able to undercut him by kind of one-upping the stupid thing that he's going to say because he says he's going to go in and ask for a paid decrease. Yeah. Which seems like such a good way to just take all the wind out of Dwight's sail. Totally. Yeah. Poor Dwight. <laughs> What's el what else is on your Wait, list? Where are you a couple more items. <laughs> so one of them, just a just a noteworthy detail that in the back of his binder he has pasted a newspaper article that he cut out with the headline Pennsylvania adding jobs. So I just felt like that was kind of an interesting little detail <laughs> in relation to downsizing. Wow. And he has an acrostic little poster with his name vertically. He also he sets this up. He brings one of those little kind of display things, you know, so you can set a small poster standing vertically on the desk. And so it's got his name spelled vertically. And for each, so he's got a word for each letter. Determined, worker, intense, good worker, hard worker. And then the last one starts with a T and it has an RR in it. I couldn't see the whole, I did see a picture on the internet that said it's terrific, but I'm gonna go with the text that I have, which doesn't make that clear, but I love, I don't know, just Dwight's self, image and the fact that he chooses to represent himself in this form that he uses the acrostic that I remember doing those with our names in elementary school totally yeah and that it's determined worker intense good worker hard worker Dwight he just has a special flair and then there's his final closing moment and this is where I really wanted to get your take on it Tyler in particular. And that's when he's, he's wrapped up. So he's kind of shown all his evidence and he's given his pitch. And he says, and in conclusion, I think Lex Luthor said it best when he said, dad, you have no idea what I'm capable of. 
And Michael asks, that's from Superman. And then Dwight tells him Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> so Tyler, what is the differentiation between Superman and Smallville? I feel like you can really unlock the interpretation here. Well, okay. I never really watched Smallville, but from my memory, it was like a kind of teen show. Like, uh-huh. and I feel like it was on like something like the CW. I don't know if that existed. Yeah, CW, yeah. Or a, like a WB or something along those lines. But, um, but I, in my mind, it's kind of like got a Dawson's Creek kind of vibe. And, but the idea was that it was young Superman. It was like, you know, him as a teenager dealing with whatever as young Superman in, in the town of Smallville um, and probably going to high school and stuff like that. So, you know, I guess part of the joke is that Dwight, who is an adult man, watches this show um, and that it's like a nerd, another nerd thing about him, right? Like that he's into like superhero stuff. I mean, well, we'll come back to that in a minute. And then also that it, he, that he's idealizing Lex Luthor, who's the villain of <laughs> superhero, Superman. Like that's that's like saying the Joker to Batman is like Lex Luthor is Superman. So, um, so he's basically saying I'm a supervillain, <laughs> which is exactly how he sees himself, right? Like he is. Yes. It is a really interesting time capsule of certain things. Like I really be- like. Like being into superhero stuff, everybody's into superhero stuff now. Like I'm, I'm so sick of superhero shit. Like it's every, it is the dominant culture. Like Dwight listening to metal, like, you know, Mm -hmm. metal is not, you know, like as popular anymore, maybe or whatever, but like the idea that that sort of signifies him a certain way in the hallway, um, what else? laser tag, like, yeah, just certain things that sort of signify him as this like nerd slash try hard like that he's he's a goody two shoes that he cares about work too much anyway um but yeah uh, yeah that <laughs> caring about work too much and doing it through a villain <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which is a great example of why you need to consider context when you were reading <laughs> um yeah that was his halloween costume right wasn't he one of the um sith the, from star yeah, wars he, yes yeah, that's right that's right he loves the villains he loves the villains he keeps aligning with these kinds of guys and the quote too that he chooses dad you have no idea what I'm <laughs> <laughs> that he's positioning michael here as his dad who yes yes in him as much as he should and he's going to <laughs> What's the deal with Lex Luthor? Like he's gonna prove his dad, he's gonna prove his evil dad wrong? Or is his dad good and he is turning evil? I don't know, but. No idea. I never, I don't know, but, but does Dwight become the boss at some point? I really hope so. Cause I really wanna see what he would be like as the boss of the office. I Can cannot spoil that. Okay, I all right. I cannot reveal anything about Dwight's. I've watched a lot of the show. I feel like I might. I can't remember. I haven't seen enough of it to. Um, okay, wait. Were there other things on your list of Dwight uh, we got to hit? Not of Dwight. I do. These are have... great. <laughs> I think that that is my. I think that that has covered my my Dwight material. Were there other moments you want to talk about? I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, for me, before our Dundee. 
I just have maybe one other detail thing. Yeah. And this is about Michael's office and his desk. And first of all, he has a little British flag on his desk. Do you think that's a kind of nod to the original office? Oh, it's got to be brilliant. I wouldn't have thought of that. He has. I just started thinking about it this time. I think it's been there before. He also has this extremely tacky framed picture of the American flag with an eagle on it, which is just, I don't know, like this extreme to me, very, I don't know, off-putting version of American Bride. But it's the British flag that is on his, his desk. And I just enjoy kind of looking at the toys that he's got on there too. So he's got a little pool table. He had a little golf cart on there today. I hadn't noticed the golf cart before. And he had a huge pen. So in the past, he's had this huge pencil. This time he had a huge pen, you know, like a, it's like a foot long, but it's in proportion, you know, with pen proportions. So anyway, I I got nothing. Every episode, does his desk's stuff change? No, a lot of the stuff is the same, but occasionally there are new things that pop in and out. Like I hadn't, or at least I hadn't noticed the big pen before. I hadn't noticed the golf cart before. They might have been there, but the pool, the mini pool table has been there. That will have a future in the show as well. Um, his, the There's like the plastic thing that kind of expands and it's a small ball and it expands into a bigger one. What I really want to know, the great mystery, and maybe if there are listeners who know about this, they could write, write in. He has this set of mice that's on the um, like on the cabinet that's behind him. It's kind of over his over his shoulder behind him. They're these little mouse figurine kind of things. They're standing, they're furry. So almost like a miniature figurine slash stuffed animal. I think one of them has boxing gloves. I feel like there's some very particular thing, and I don't know what they are, and it's driving me crazy. Okay, we got to research this. We got to research this. I mean, I've done a little bit of research before and found nothing. Oh, I wonder. It's got to be, it's got to be something and I need to know. So I'm just going to float that out there as a mystery that I would like to see solved. All right, listeners, you got to write us, write to us. Yeah, write to us, please. Respond to us on social media at Instagram or uh, we, oops, we got office underscore hours underscore podcast. Mm -hmm for our Instagram and Twitter is office underscore HRS underscore pod. Yeah. And actually do use those because there's no other way to write to us. Yeah. That's, that's your option. So (laughs) those are your options. Okay. Well, is it Dundee time? I'm ready. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Tyler, I need you to go first because I am actually still reflecting on my potential Dundees. I've really struggled this time. This was an easy one for me. And uh, I think for listeners who were following along carefully, Carefully, they they got it. I don't know if you can hear my hiccups. I'm struggling with hiccups suddenly. <laughs> uh, I'm trying my best to hide them, but um, I think I laugh too much. Um, but anyway, uh, for severe uh, for for uh, severe judgment, um, the award goes to Angela. Um, <laughs> I just was so uh, you know impressed by her desire and willingness to be critiqued. Um, yeah, and. Uh, and I thought, uh, I was like, that's an exemplary, um, you know, employee. She's like the only one who wants a real performance review. <laughs> and uh, I found, and also, you know, like, I thought that, I, that actress, like, cracks me up every time. Yeah. And 
Um, she was so good in that line of the beauty pageant, <laughs> youth beauty pageants as equivalent to office middle management office performance reviews. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so for severe judgment, it's all Angela for me. That is such a good one. I love it. So I feel like there were several Dundies that I wanted to give out this time. Let me just share a couple of my considerations. No. I'm going to do a runner-up and then I just need to make a call and I'm going to do it. All right. Winner. Okay. So I think my runner-up is going to be Pam and that is for how quickly she turned and adapted in Michael's office in order to not have him give her a terrible review. She also, so that's the point and we talked, we talked about it, but when, when she says, you know, oh, I think that Jan's conflicted. And Michael asks her, why did you think I wouldn't have wanted to hear that? And she says, well, it might be awkward. And she just kind of has the cutest face after she says that it might be awkward because you work together. So I thought it was a great move and all just very endearing. So Pam was a runner up for me, but I think I'm going to give my top Dundee to Jan because (laughs) she withstood a lot. Michael, Michael's just aggressively willful ignorance about how to be professional, but I felt like she just handled him with such grace and (laughs) continued to try to lead the office. So she needed that recognition. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad you're honoring her. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I felt, I felt she needed, needed a win. I also felt in this episode that Pam was, like really funny and charming and uh i and i felt like there was some glance i wish i had like taken a note of when it was or whatever but there was some glance between her and jim mm-hmm. that was like very sexy i was like this is very charged mm-hmm. and i think that i really enjoy their relationship when it is like these little you know uh, i don't know dashes little tastes you know yeah yeah um, and I don't, it would be interesting to go back and like, maybe I'm like harder on the episodes that are more focused on the Jim Pam plot. But in this one, I really was like suddenly invested in their relationship. And I was, even though precisely because they weren't talking about it at all, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought that actress was great. And then there was a really good shot too, where she was like in the foreground and somebody was in the background and she was doing some kind of look. And um, anyway, so yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, nice. Okay. Well, listeners, please rate us. Assuming you like us, please rate us. I hear it's good for podcasts. And uh, thank you to Jen Lightfoot for our amazing logo and music and follow us on the social media. And please update us about those mice if you know what they are. Yeah, do, do, do internet detectives help us. And we will see you next time for uh, episode nine, email surveillance. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye.